0: Tweet it is to be a Miami Marlins fan in 2020. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode five of Swimming Upstream. It's Alex and Daniel here back with you for our continuation of our consensus top 100 prospect list. But before we do that, guys, uh, you know, we just want to let you guys know a couple things here. First of all, in an unprecedented season, in an equally unprecedented time in which the Miami Marlins were approached. With just about every challenge humanly possible, these fighting fish, these bottom feeders, driven by many of their top prospects who have begun to join and succeed in the major leagues well ahead of schedule, found themselves well ahead of schedule and back in the playoffs and back winning in the playoffs <laughs> after 17 years going without that accomplishment. Daniel, it's so great to be back with you on the on the pod, man. Here. Uh, it was wild. It was crazy. But man, was that fun uh, with what so many people can consider to be a down and out team that had no chance of cracking the playoffs. The improbable occurred. The fish were back in the playoffs and they proved this re- rebuild was well ahead of schedule. Your thoughts.
1: It's been a while huh? since we last um, recorded one of these. A lot of things have happened. And yes, uh, our Marlins um Got to the promised land, right? The, the the beautiful playoffs. It was very fun. I loved sweeping the Cubs, um, and it just shows the future that we have. This is what we're talking um, about about these prospects. This is what we can expect from from our team moving forward. So, really happy to be de- doing this with you again, and very excited for for our Marlins.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely agree there. Uh, you know, and, and Daniel, as impressive as making the playoffs was any time that you do it, and is any time that you do it, uh, you know, no matter how many games were played, 60 games, 162 games, whatever it is, it's so much more impressive when you consider everything this team went through, right? The COVID breakout that forced this team into spending 18 days in a Philadelphia hotel, which then forced Michael Hill, uh, you know, whatever he's, you know... and destined for in the future and we definitely wish him well uh you know what he did to complete this completely remake this squad and then to have guys that you've barely heard from before in their big league careers guys that were just sitting on waivers just hoping for a phone call and hoping to come back to the next big league chance to come in and contribute the way that they did and then of course we have our prospects right sixtoe, jazz trevor rogers daniel castano nick Niter. All of these guys that came into turning quality performances. And on top of that, we have the resurgence of guys uh, like Lewis Brinson. And then the realization of Brian Anderson as an all-star caliber player for not only one season, but many seasons. The Marlins literally just overall on many, many, many different levels, just had solid contributions throughout the entire organization from established big league talents to guys that are, you know, on the brink of their big league careers, the guys that are being pushed into their big league careers, necessarily the club, you know, eight double headers, eight, eight double headers, Daniel, you know, (laughs) and their last day off on the season was September 3rd. And they just kept grinding, turning every negative into a positive and truly just, as they said, riding this wave. You know, these so-called bottom feeders, you know, these guys used that label to their advantage and made doubters into believers. Truly a pleasure to watch it. Great, great time to follow along with it in place of no minor league season, which I know hurt both of us. But just a great time to see these guys succeed, and especially our guys that are well ahead of schedule, as we mentioned, just to come in and turn in the performances that they did. Uh, you know, it really was a fun season.
1: Yeah, it was a, just a great ride. Um, so fun. You know, at that well, when COVID happened, we didn't even know if, if our team was going to keep playing, right? Everybody was throw the throw the Marlins away, <laughs> don't let them play anymore. Um, but they came back, as you said, you know, it, crazy as it sounds, they did. And as I mentioned before, we're just so proud of that team. And It's just a team effort from the GM to scouting the the, um, the Coaching, you know, Mattingly was amazing. The player captains, you know, M- Miggy Rojas, Rojas, um, uh, Cervelli for the games that he played was amazing. You know, being a catcher and doing that with completely unknown pitchers, no spring training, nothing. Um, what he did was, was uh, you know, outstanding. So it was just a solid team effort, got them to the playoffs, and we're going to be seeing a lot of that moving forward.
0: Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, All those guys that you mentioned, great, great, you know, veteran leadership uh, for these kids that came in and were able to do what they did. It's a credit to them. Uh, It comes down to this for me as a bottom line, uh, closing out the 2020 season. Uh, For those who weren't believers in what's being built here in Miami, including those across the national sports media world, We've made believers of all of those guys, including this, you know, certain Phillies reporter that labeled us bottom feeders. You know, they're believers now. Maybe they weren't before, but they are now. You see this club popping up on outlets scarcely seen before. They're on ESPN. They're on Fox Sports nationally. They're on Sports Illustrated nationally being labeled as, you know, the best story in baseball and which is definitely true you know no matter where they wound up in 2020 for the first time in a long time and maybe even in all of franchise history this club is being considered as a major you know candidate to perform and you know really take that next step ahead here next season it's a true testament for me to what this front office uh, accomplished and how they've created and grown a whole new culture here around this miami marlins name uh you know in such a short period of time Daniel, I think I speak for both of us when I say it's been a pleasure to follow this team uh, and see how far this organization has come. I know for both of us, it's been a great, you know, a, a pleasure to be a part of it, you know, kind of from maybe a little bit more behind the scenes for both of us. You know, we share our thoughts together and we kind of we kind of came up with the fact that, you know, th- this team has really, really, really turned the corner from where it came since the purchase of the organization was made by Jeter and Sherman in uh, August Absolutely. of 2017.
1: Absolutely. Um, you can see it, as, as they love to say every time they interview them, you know, whether it's Jeter, whether it's Hill, um, the levels and levels, right, um, of, of, of talent. And and you can see it coming, man. I mean, we're, we're going deep here, as we've been doing since the beginning. We're talking about 100 prospects, and a lot of these have a big uh, chance of making the bigs, whether it's with the Marlins or with another team. You know they can become trade chips, and you can just see, you can just see it. I mean, a guy like like Castano went up there and 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 held his own. You know, I mean, we had him what? I mean, I don't remember right now, but um, 40s, 50s, 60s, um, and and there he was. You know, battling it out. He pitched like six strong innings in Yankee Stadium. That's what we have in our farm system. So so be excited, Miami. Yep
0: yeah for sure definitely and it's definitely shown as daniel mentioned and how deep we're going into this organization here with this podcast and we even have another episode after this coming up going even deeper into the talent in this organization so it's definitely multiple layered again as daniel mentioned it's not just guys that are on the brink and making their debut now it's guys that are going to be here you know, after these guys and guys that are, you know, we have that may be able to create even more depth via trade or whatever it may be, even if their careers don't succeed with the Miami Marlins, these are guys that can be used on other teams that may be struggling for depth or whatever it may be that can definitely turn in to either depth or even more so it's definitely multifaceted here it's not just looking at the next two to three years it's looking at the big future in the next five to six to seven eight even nine ten years so i mean we're we're getting into guys here that are 16 17 18 years old that we're looking at to make a big contribution to uh, on their big league level uh in terms of where they are right now in their career even as such young kids so it's definitely a um a a, a long term tenure
1: here. Exactly. A quick 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 uh, note there. The last uh, thing we want to get into, Daniel. Here, is, sorry, sorry. Really quick. Uh, regarding Castano, we had him at forty seven. <laughs> we had him at forty seven, and that's more because of you. You were higher than him. You you knew much more about him. Obviously, you know I've I've, I've been following him as well the last few years, but um, you were higher, and we settled at forty seven. But I mean, imagine that, you know. He came up, did really, really well. We had him in 47. There's a lot, a lot of talent in this organization. So, yeah, just that quick note. Definitely. Uh, The
0: last thing we want to get into, Danny, here before we break back into the countdown, uh, we'd be a little bit remiss if we didn't mention the contributions of a few guys by name. Uh, The first one, obviously, is Sixto Sanchez. This guy comes off of a major injury a couple years ago. He goes through a slow build back from it during spring training. He has it put on hold because of COVID. And he comes back to the alternate training site in a lot better shape it looked like from the pictures and videos that we saw. Uh, And he builds up the arm well ahead of schedule and comes back to make his MLB debut. And the stuff. The stuff, Daniel. We can't say enough (laughs) about this guy's stuff. It's been made a lot of through many other outlets, you've guys all seen it nationally. This guy's already gone national. Even in his major league debut, there were national tweets about how nasty Sixto Sanchez is. You know, frequently over triple digits, one of the nastiest changeups that I've personally ever seen. Mix in Slider. You know, the hype around this guy was definitely real. And as much as it costs him with real Muto, you know, who may, maybe even will become a Marlin again. That's definitely <laughs> on the table. We're looking at that right now. That Real sure. Muto may even be out of Philly and may, we maybe be So <laughs> maybe that's in the cards. Who would have thought, right? <laughs> yeah. But the guy the Marlins have been looking at, looking for and looking at since the death of Jose, 6-0, even though, you know, he's had his growing pains and will have his growing pains, uh, which we saw at his last start, you know, there in the playoffs. He's arrived here in the big leagues, and he's
1: absolutely beautiful. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, not much to add to that. I mean, everybody's saw 6 though. It's just the stuff is out of this world. He obviously needs to work on a few things. Um, you, you, you can see when he's not, when he's not um, locating his changeup low, that's when they get him. Some people talked about how, you know, every time, a, 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 you know, a team saw him for a second time, that's when he struggled. I would say it's more mental than that. Um, he, w- whenever he wasn't locating his changeup, that's when he got hurt. But I mean, again, you just saw, he, you saw what's, what's in his future. Um, he'll only get better. And, and yeah, um, it's, 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 it's the time to, to be excited right now with, with him and everybody else that's coming up.
0: Yeah. Uh, one other guy here we want to mention by name. Not necessarily a prospect anymore. We want to recognize the accomplishments of this guy here. Uh, Luis Brinson. Uh, you know, another guy who came into this season and really into his organiz- into his organizational debut with the Marlins after the big trade that he went through. He had a lot of fanfare around him, but unlike Sixto, a guy that didn't necessarily succeed right away, right? Uh, especially not in terms of big, big league level. He struggled a ton in his Marlins career up until this year. Uh, but this guy's really drive and will to succeed is what really impressed me. Um, it never left him, and a guy that Michael Hill, uh, you know, this guy refused to give up on him in terms of everything that fans said about this guy being a dud and this guy being a bust and everything that happened. You know, Maya's glad that they really didn't give up on this guy. I'm sure Jeter is too, it, even being that Michael Hill now is now no longer with the organization. You know, we both called it out during uh, spring training, Daniel, on how Brinson's latest mechanical adjustments looked encouraging. Many fans scoffed at that statement, even after we put out the podcast uh, stating it. But to all of our delight, especially me and you, Daniel, uh, this guy uh, and Brinson, we're finally seeing him turning the corner. He's turning in quality at bats, swinging the plus bat. You know, he's always been capable of doing at the big league level. And he's doing so, and he did so in this current landscape of having a season put on hold, you know he was still in the process of undergoing those mechanical adjustments. You know It got put on hold, but he put in the work necessary, which is a testament to his work ethic uh, and his focus and his ability to just keep driving to be better, which he mentioned in every single one of his press conferences, he just wants to be better. So after coming into the year with a sub 200 batting average and sub 300 slugging percentage with an OPS right around 500, at the big league level, Brinson ended the season with an over 400 slugging percentage and a 700 plus OBS. So, love to you know, it. everything that he's been able to accomplish on the field has been amazing. The, the, the work he's been able to do has been spectacular to me. And I really wanted to call his name out as a guy that we've really seen turn the corner, even if he's not a prospect anymore. So your thoughts on Brinson here, Daniel?
1: He's just the guy you root for, right? Um, obviously a lot of us were, you know, ready to move on. We're ready. We have a lot of outfielders in our in our system and we're we're ready to do it, but Marlins weren't. They didn't want to give up on him. They give him another shot and he took it and and he looked great. Hopefully he can build on that and, and, and give us some of that um tools that we saw of him as a prospect and we saw a bit last year. So, yeah, really excited for for what Brinson can can bring to the table now.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, The last thing we want to mention here before we get back into the countdown on our top 100 prospects list uh, is a guy that the Marlins uh, actually accomplished to – were able to accomplish the acquisition of at the trade deadline. Uh, It's a guy who they tried to draft all the way back, uh, you know, years back and actually were one-upped by the Blue Jays with. Uh, and They literally took him a pick before the Marlins draft pick in that draft. We know that the Marlins had a spotlight on him just because of the name and what he was able to accomplish in high school, which they did draft him out of high school, and tried to get him again out of college and were unable to do so because the Blue Jays took him one pick before, is Griffin Conine. Daniel, for me, you, and I'm sure a lot of other Marlins fans who grew up idolizing the dad, Mr. Marlin, Jeff Conine, ultimately my favorite player of all time. Always has been, probably always will be. You know, it, it, this is absolutely huge. Uh, it was great getting back Starling Marche for this year's playoff run, who probably will be back next season uh, for the Marlins in uh, terms of the club option. But to have the name Conine eventually back on the back of a Marlins jersey how awesome is this going to be? I, I don't know about your kids, but mine are definitely going to know and going to own the same jersey in the same name, Conine. And that's <laughs> such a thrill for me. I don't know how that is for you. You can let me know, but to have Conine back on the back of a Marlins jersey, that's huge.
1: 100%, man. Um, you know, when I saw the trade, I was so happy. One, because I think I think trading VR was was the right decision but two, because if it was coming back, you know, we're talking about a prospect, not only Conine, but also just crazy, crazy power. You know, it's, 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 it's out of this world power and it's exciting to see he needs to tone down the strikeouts. You know, he, he needs to control that and and get that hit tool going um, that vision plate discipline going, but it's exciting. You know, he's, um, you know, he's one of those prospects that really excites you. And to come in in the 15 to 20 range in our system, that's, that's big. You know, and that's where he is. So, yeah, absolutely excited about that. Um, I also wanted to mention one other guy um, that we didn't mention here, but I think really deserves it. That, that's Trevor Rogers. I mean, um, what, what, what that kid did, I, I just did not expect He came up in that first start against the Mets, I believe, and he was just painting the corners with 97. I had him at 92, 94, and he came up painting 97. You know, he had one bad start where, you know, it was said that he was supposedly tipping his pitches, and that absolutely ruined his numbers for the season. But everything else was really, really positive, and it just brought him, in my eyes, even, you know, um, up another level than where I had him, which was pretty high. So yeah, I just wanted to g- give a, a quick mention um, regarding uh, Trevor Rogers, who really exceeded expectations in my eyes.
0: Yeah, Daniel mentions Rogers. Uh, we have a piece actually coming out here shortly on the website of the guys that contributed from the minors to the pros here. And Rogers is one of them. Rogers is a guy... Uh, You know, he went through this surgery, missed an entire season with the Tommy John, uh, you know, was drafted out of high school. And the biggest thing for me on Trevor Rogers Daniel, is the fact that he was able to build his third pitch from where it was early in spring training to where he didn't really have a third pitch. He had a couple of pitches that he was really building. We actually talked to him about it at the end of spring training. And his quote was like, I'm trying to build both pitches. I'm not just trying to build my changeup. I'm not just trying to build the cutter. I'm trying to build both. It turns out that the changeup was a little bit further ahead than the cutter. And that's the changeup that we saw this year in uh, the big, at the big league level. Yeah. He was really, really, really working on that pitch. It looked like during the break, the COVID break and everything else. Uh, you know, it, it's a real testament to Rogers' work ethic to take every negative that he was approached with, but whether it be the Tommy John or having probably the biggest spanner of his career put on hold because of COVID. And he literally took that pitch. At the end of spring training, it wasn't much of a pitch. And he took that pitch and was able to turn it into the plus pitch that we saw. He does have a little bit of issues, I will say, with the control. Uh, and, and really with the arm speed, I will say. And really matching the arm speed with the changeup to the, to the uh, fastball. I think that's why he really struggled in that one start. But it being one start where this guy has come straight out of double A, when not a long career in double A, I will add. And contributing to the big league level and really only having one bad start at the big league level against good teams. And there was one start where he even had ten, sh- ten strikeouts. And maybe you know the first handful of his first you know five big league starts. And he's turning in ten sh- strikeouts. That's huge for Trevor Rogers, a guy that came back from Tommy John that you know accomplished every challenge that he was approached with this season. It's big for Trevor Rogers. He's a Under the radar prospect, even though he was drafted, you know, in the first round by the Marlins, being, you know, the guy that went through what he went through, it's a very, very big testament to Rutgers' work ethic and his will to succeed, much like Brinson, who we just mentioned. Uh, You know, that work ethic, that's the culture that's being cultivated here in Miami. That's what they go through in spring training, where they're on the backfields to see it. These guys cheer each other on. They take every negative. They turn it into a positive, And they really, really, really do want to see each other succeed. So absolutely.
1: not only Rodgers,
0: not only Brinson, but this entire Miami Marlins staff who was able to come in and turn in quality performances after being much of them rushed into their big league debuts well ahead of schedule. It's absolutely awesome. We're really excited for guys like Rogers, Jazz, Cassano, who I absolutely love—you guys all know that—you know yeah. all of these guys that are able to come in, and now Conine's going to be part of it. It's it's great, and we love it. Yeah. So That's yeah, it. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 great, and Rogers, as Daniel mentions, is a great, uh, you know, addition to that conversation. Um, back on terms of Conine, we got him in return for Jonathan VR, who the Blue Jays were hoping were to add to their playoff run. Uh, that ended quite a bit prematurely there for the, the um, for the Blue Jays. Uh, obviously, they didn't make it. The Rays are now in the World Series. We all know that. But, uh, you know, we get Conine back for VR, who was basically had an expiring contract this year. Uh, you know, and we get a guy in Conine who, you know, he's been through his struggles here uh, in his minor league career. He did through suspension for steroids. But he came back, from his suspension, uh, you know, a year later, like he never missed a beat. You know, he's hitting 283, 371, 1576 with 22 bombs in his first big league or first uh, minor league season, full minor league season in the Midwest League. Uh, leading the Midwest League in homer, second in slugging percentage, fourth in OPS, just beneath our boy Peyton Burdick, who may share a Marlins outfield with him one day. Uh, you know, at 23, he may be pushed a little bit more aggressively by the Marlins if he's able to cut down on his swing and miss, with Daniel, which Daniel did mention. Uh, he does really need to cut down on that. He's a big swing and miss guy. But Niner Jr., man, he was a stud in high school, big guy in college, has had a great minor league uh, career so far, even despite the suspension. Uh, the Marlins had a target on him at 53 overall in the draft in 2018. Jays took him at 52. We get him back here. We get the best of the Blue Jays here, Daniel, and we get Niner back for the rental of Jonathan VR. Two years well, later, you know Michael Hill, you know whatever his career leads to in uh, his future behind the Marlins. This is a great acquisition for him and another testament to him. So yeah, we love, love Griffin. We love that acquisition, and we'll be talking about him further here shortly, won't we, Daniel?
1: Yep, that's it.
0: Yeah, okay. So uh, without any further ado, guys, that's all we have for the intro. We want to get back into the countdown. We know you guys have been waiting for this next episode here. So without any further ado, we're getting back into the countdown here, and we start with this.
1: Okay, so number 62, this is a guy that a lot of our um, audience will know. I mean, he's a, he's been on our top Marlins list for, you know, for he, he did it many times. Um, Sean Reynolds, he – was drafted out of high school by Miami in 2016. In the fourth round, he is a specimen, 6'7", 240, still 22 years old, <clears throat> even though like, you, you know, he was drafted four years ago, right? Uh, lefty hitter. So this is a guy who Miami was very high on, may still be. He is arguably the guy with the most raw power, with the biggest raw power in our whole system. I mean, I'll put him up with anybody. The problem, he can't put the bat on the ball. He, he mm-hmm. can't. Uh, when he does, though, wow. Last year, he had a 172 average with a 49% K rate. That's by far the worst mm-hmm. K rate in our system. Check yep. this out. He had 55 hits last year. 53% of those were extra base hits. That's yep. nuts. That's crazy. Yep. Imagine and you know imagine what this kid could do if he makes the adjustment and starts tapping into that raw power more consistently um, he 's also actually a fine runner. he stole thirteen bases in two thousand and eighteen and eleven in two thousand and nineteen. Keep in mind that he stole this amount of bases uh, at his size without actually reaching base. <laughs> he wasn 't reaching base because he doesn 't put the bat on the ball. Um, and what he does, it's an extra base hit. So he stole these bases with with, with that asterisk. So, I mean, he can run. In 2018, he led the short season uh, New York Penn League in home runs with 17 and 76 games, along with a 193 average. So there you go. You know, he led the – he's like a, a Chris Davis or a Joey Gallo. And if, if you want to do some comparisons in terms of, you know, his crazy raw tool but his – not being able to, to tap into it because of his contact issues. Um, to start 2019, he could have gone either way, I would say. that That's the point where I was either really excited or really scared for him. Um, either make the adjustment and become something like a Giancarlo Stanton who has crazy power but needs to work on putting the bat on the ball a bit more, or go the complete other way. Unfortunately, it was the latter. Uh, he was doing so badly in Single A Clinton that he was demoted midseason, um, back to Batavia. He he did do better there, but still struggled. I would assume he be he begins the next season back in Single A. I would assume 2021. Hopefully, he can make the adjustments because his power tool is crazy, you know, and he's somebody who can actually make the big league team if he if he's able to work on those big kinks.
0: Yeah, uh, th- this dude, for me, Daniel, epitomizes what it is to be a man of extremes. You know, he's got the extreme size, 6'7", 237, and like you said, the extreme power ceiling, 17 homers in Batavia in 2018. But the key potential is absolutely ridiculous. You know, he's never reached the Mendoza line at each of his steps in minor league baseball. That 2018 season with Batavia, he was literally all nothing. The 17 homers accounted for 32% of his production at the plate. So 32% of his hits were the 17 home runs. Um, He began last season, like you said, in Clinton. Results were not good. 68 games, he had nine homers. Again, didn't do much of anything else. And his K rate rose from 42% in Batavia to 55% as a lumber king. So that's got to be some kind of record. I mean, he strikes out in over half of his plate appearances. That's massive. I mean, that, that's, that's not something that you want to see from any prospect, let alone, no matter who they are. You know, he got sent back to Batavia, like you said, for the final 28 games of the season. He hit four more homers, and his K rate, it fell drastically, but to still at 36%. That's a career-low K rate, 36%, a career-low K rate for Sean Routes. So, yeah, uh, he walked 21 times in, in those 109 plate appearances. So hopefully that was the beginning of some kind of improvement, but done at the lowest level of minor league baseball. And, again, he only hit 170. Um, but the BABIP was also low for him there, too, 244 BABIP. So maybe that will normalize mm-hmm. and he can at least get over the Mendoza line when, when he comes back next season. Um, unquestioned power, but the lack of vision and structural knowledge is, 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 what, is what sets him back. Um, Yeah, that's another thing he can hopefully begin. He hopefully began to rectify last year. Uh, You know, he covered the plate a little bit better. He went opposite field 38% of the time, whereas before that he was really extreme. Uh, So, yeah, if he can begin to build off of those 88 plate appearances, or I'm sorry, 88 at-bats that we saw from him in Batavia last season uh, after he got sent down, there's some room for him to grow into a power-heavy and power-only really, like the age candidate at the next level. The Marlins really have worked with him on his defense, but with the inclusion of DH now, I think that he's going to be a DH candidate uh, exclusively. Uh, really needs to show the strike zone knowledge and semblance of any kind of patience if he's going to grow into much at the big league level. Uh, hopefully that's what we see out of him next year. Um, you know, Like you said, if he finds barrels, the ball's going to fly. You know, he's got a massive, massive power ceiling. He just really, really needs to find contact more often. Uh, But, yeah, Sean, we'll see what happens uh, next season. Definitely going to be a big year for him in 2021. Uh, We'll go to 63. I got it. Uh, Davis Bradshaw. William. Out of Meridian Community College in Mississippi. Uh, He was drafted out of high school by the Brewers uh, in the 35th round in 2017. Uh, But instead, he chose to attend Meridian, the same program that produced Cliff Lee. Uh, Corey Dickerson and others, including Milton Smith, who was just recently released by the Marlins. Uh, by way of a ridiculous se- single season at Meridian, 442, 523, 718, with a 22 to 5 stolen base to cost ceiling uh, stat line. He really improved his draft stock. Uh, it went up 24 rounds and he commanded a pretty steep signing bonus, 125K. Uh, to get him signed away from the rest of his college commitment to Meridian. Uh, might have even gone to a bigger school, uh, you know, bigger uh, D1 college uh, after that big year at Meridian. Uh, but instead, it comes to the Marlins for, like I said, 125K as an 11th rounder. Uh, he split the rest of 2018 between the GCL and Batavia. 46 games, he hit 354, 418, 427 with a 20-5 to 5, uh KBB and a 27 12, uh, I'm sorry, 20-5 to five st- uh, stolen base to cause stealing rate and a 27-12 KBB. His really, really standout tool is his innate ability to make contact and his plus speed on the base paths. Um, but the slash line res- results last year that I just mentioned were somewhat dependent on a high bat, a really high bat of 400. Uh, he suffered a leg injury early in camp last year, and he wasn't inside until the Lumber Kings until the end of May. Um, rough go there for him at first with the Lumber Kings uh, at the full season level. Hit just 246 with a 30 to 4 KBB over 43 games, but he saved the season with a really big month of August. 316, 333, 380 in August for Davis Bradshaw. Uh, rallied, uh, really only had 33 hits in his first 146 ABs and 25 in his last 79 at bats last season. So clearly he was able to make some adjustments and flip the switch, uh, which is really encouraging to see uh, after missing time with an injury. As long as the health holds for Davis, I, I think what we saw in August is, is really who he's going to be. Um, an average heavy guy. This guy is a pure hitter with simple twitching mechanics, stays back well, simple straight through contact more often than not. Um, he can lengthen at bats with um, some really, really solid swings, um, good bat speed. You know, he could turn into turn almost any ball into at least a base hit. Um, gets the bat on the ball really, really well. Great bat-to-ball skills for Davis Bradshaw. Um, you want to see more walk out of this guy, though. The patience hasn't been his suit at all in his career. Um, you know, he wants to swing the bat. He's a guy that wants to put the ball in play. But he needs to be a bit more selective, really, and counts and work them into So, yeah, Davis. If it's a guy with question marks around that, I think he could grow into a catalytic type, you know, heavy average uh, bat, especially, and especially if the power grows could even be a little bit more.
1: I agree with everything you said there. I don't really have much to add on on uh, on Bradshaw. So let's continue. Let's go with number 64, Junior Sanchez. He was signed as an international amateur out of the Dominican in 2019 by Miami for 1150000 Um, They invested almost $4,900,000 in Jose Salas, Ian Lewis, and Junior Sanchez um, for, for that 2019 international class, and still had some leftover to grab a guy like Yuri Perez, um, who we'll talk about, uh, about in a few um, uh, spots. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, this ownership has shown absolute commitment and development, but the complete 180 versus previous ownership can be seen with international prospects. Before the Marlins traded away international pool money as part of trades to lower payroll. Today, the Marlins are trading for more pool money and actually using all of it. Like you can see it, man, it's, it's happening. Um, and then that's why we're so excited about this, Alex and I, that, that's why we're, um, we wanna do this. We wanna go deep here because we're excited about what this new ownership is doing. Um, so Junior, is still 17 years old, six feet, lefty hitter. Main thing to say about Junior Sanchez, keep in mind, um, we haven't, I haven't seen him at all. He hasn't played a professional game yet. But may, main thing to say about Junior is that he's a bat-first shortstop um, with solid contact skills and strike zone judgment. Um, so since I've never seen him, here's what Baseball America has to say about his bat. He's a line drive hitter who takes the ball where it's pitched, using the whole field. Um, he's a he's a slightly above average runner and has an av- uh, an average arm, soft hands, and good footwork at shortstop, but lacks the athleticism to stick there. Is what I've heard. Um, so you, we can probably end up being a third baseman or a second baseman. I I feel like that's where most uh, people who have talked to about him him ending up but again he hasn't played a professional game yet so who knows you know maybe he can make the adjustments and then stick it shortstop um it, it will be great just to see this 2019 international class get some games and just show us what they can do i mean it's it's sad that the minor league season was canceled and we're gonna have to wait on that but i really excited to see them whenever they do play uh yeah for sure J-
0: Junior Sanchez, uh, highly coveted guy by the Marlins in the international draft, um, like yeah. you said, signed for 1.15 mil. Uh, that's more than $50 million than a guy we covered last time at number 49, Ian Lewis. So he was a 24th ranked prospect in last year's international draft. Six uh, foot 160, like you said. Uh, pretty simple hitting mechanics to this guy. Got some slight uppercuts of the swing, but does it with good balance once uh from what i've seen i haven't seen a plain person yet either but i have seen a video on him and i've read reports um and from what i read and see the, the approach is really built right now for a plus line drive rate which you really like to see out of a young 17 year old kid um he's got good decent range in the field um but you know kind of lacks a little bit of the fluidity with the glove i would say to really stick as the shortstop um get around the ball well on routine plays, got a arm. Um, his nickname is La Melaza, which <laughs> Daniel can tell you means molasses. Uh, and it, that's a pretty good nickname for him because other than like I just mentioned, a, a little bit of a lack of feel with the glove, everything this guy does, he does with really, really great liquid fluidity. Um, like I said, from the film we've seen, he makes it look pretty easy. Uh, we'll see how it translates to affiliated ball in the stateside transfer. You know, that's why he's that low on this list. We haven't seen him play yet. Uh, Daniel mentioned that as well. But already showing, you know, the plus line drive contact and the projectable size, uh, you know, I expect Junior, like Ian Lewis, who, like I mentioned, we covered last time, to jump up this list as we see more out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he's already showing that grow into more power. A guy like Salas, uh, Daniel mentioned this as well, uh, he could probably project as a future third baseman, especially considering the amount of depth the Marlins have at shortstop. But, yeah. Definitely excited to see Junior Sanchez and the rest of that international draft class play uh, next season. We go to C5. It's uh, Jake Walters. Jake Walters, a Marlins 2018 ninth rounder out of Alabama, where he had a really good year in the SEC, or a really good career in the SEC, excuse me, 295 innings pitch, 3.42 ERA, 1.38 whip, 292, 133 KBB uh mixed in an impressive showing cape in 2016 20.1 innings 3.54 ERA 1.18 whip 165k uh he was a big part of the really really studly class pitching class for the lumber kings last year for that rotation uh in his first year pro 92 innings 2.35 ERA 1.06 whip 8729 kb another guy Evans who we mentioned last time Walters is uh, a well developed specimen. Six foot 200, maybe even a little bit over. However, he, he knows the body pretty well and he's able to repeat his mechanics pretty well. Um, doesn't have the spectacular velo 90 to 94 with the fastball. Separator pitch here is a cutter, which he throws with the six speed. Really as Well, off that fastball. Cut piece, great late drop. Works, like I said, in great tandem with the fastball. Good deception, repeatability in the motion. Um, you know, is able to get guys completely off balance, leading to weak contact because of that uh, that excessive drop on that cut piece. A really good pitch for him. Uh, also leads to a lot of ground balls. 40% ground ball rate last year. Mixes in a change-up. Uh, again, good arm speed to it. Some decent fade. Maybe one plane, working on two plane break for that pitch. So, uh, working on a third pitch for, for Walters. Um, you know, a, a guy with probably best tool control and good command who lives in and all around the strike zone. Never been a big K guy, but doesn't walk a lot of guys either it doesn't get hit hard um the cancel the MILB is really gonna guy like this hard he'll be 25 at the start of next MILB season uh considering all the Marlins have coming starting pitching wise um, and again his lack of real lights out stuff we limit the ceiling to a swing man or a pen roll here Um, however he could really thrive there Uh, he's not roll five upper minors um expect him probably to skip uh uh, the rest of it, maybe begin next season uh, in double A. He's a candidate to, to contribute to the Marlins pen as a guy that just gets simple outs, uh, possibly next year. If-
1: yeah. So um, I want to, to use Jake Walters here to talk very quickly about the intricate intricacies of the draft for our listeners who aren't as knowledgeable on this. Um, If you are chosen before another player, it does not always necessarily mean that the team is higher on you. A great example is Walters here, who was Mm -hmm. drafted in the ninth round versus maybe a guy like Bradshaw, who we just talked about, who was chosen in the 11th of the same year. For those of you, you know, listening who don't know, each team has a bonus pool that they can't go over by more than 5% without incurring in penalties, such as losing future draft picks how it works is the bonuses for the first 10 rounds count against that pool this means that you can't just grab the 10 you know the the, the 10 main guys you want in the first 10 rounds because most likely they will cost you more than what you have allotted for pool money so what teams do is select players who they probably like but that are cheap to make sure that that they don't go over and then grab other guys who they're higher on after the 10th round, who maybe they made a deal with and they're just waiting for the call. So when I want to analyze how high the Marlins are on a player, at least originally how high they were, I not only look at the draft round, I look at bonus money as well. So Walters cost Miami 10,000 bucks, even though he was drafted in the ninth round While Bradshaw, who was drafted in the 11th, cost 125,000. So that you know, which is basically the maximum you can give a post-10th round draft pick without sacrificing pool money. So I just wanted to like bring you guys into how that works and you know how when analyzing prospects, one of those are the few things. uh, One of the few things that we look at with that um let's let's continue let's go to number 66 with a uh, reliever colton hawk um, colton was drafted by miami in 2017 in the in the fourth round out of stanford university 6'4 220 pounds 24 years old hawk is a pitcher who has gone back and forth between starter and reliever um, in both his collegiate career at stanford in his professional career. Um, with what we saw in 2019 though, it looks like Miami finally decided to commit to keeping him as a reliever. When he's on, Hawk has a mid-90s fastball with heavy sink and elite spin, as well as a solid curveball. Um, the last I heard, he also had a changeup, but I'm not sure how the development of that pitch has come along. Maybe Alex here can help me with, with, with that in a second. In terms of results, his professional career has been a bit mediocre um, in terms, of, yeah, again, in terms of results. And the main reason for this is that he simply gets hit, you know, he, he gets hit a lot, not necessarily hard, but definitely more than he should be. A reason for this may be his, his high BABIP, uh, BABIP, BABIP against, which could mean that he's unlucky, but this has been the case his whole career. So it may also simply mean that he's easy to hit and needs to adjust. He depends on, on trying to generate soft contact and ground balls. So many, you know, many of those balls that are hit simply get through. The good news is that his best pro season was his last one. Not amazing with an 8.24 K per nine and 1.34 WHIP, but solid on other stats such as his 3.07 filter independent pitching. Um, if I were to guess, I'd say that Hawk will probably turn out as a middle reliever, um, you know, sixth, seventh inning guy. A player that comes to mind, I don't normally comp, but a player that comes to mind when looking for, for a comp is uh, Chad Qualls, who had a nice career and a majestic fall after a strikeout when he was uh, with Miami. Um, I'd say Hawk probably starts at A next season. What do, what do you think, Alex?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, for sure. I, th- I definitely think if he makes it through Rule Five, uh, he's Rule Five eligible mm-hmm. in 2021. So if he makes it through Rule Five, probably Double A. But it's a guy who who sat, you know, 94, 96 with his fastball in college. Um, pro coaches really slowed that down, uh, slowed his delivery down, slowed his arm speed down um, to really induce more command and out of him. You know, uh, and maybe drive the K numbers up, uh, uh, drive the uh, weak contact rate up. Uh, It has worked, but, you know, he's kind of predictable in his sequencing. You know, he's hard first, secondaries after. He doesn't really mix well for me. I watched him a lot last year in in Jupiter. Um, He doesn't really mix his speeds too terribly well. Um, You know, it doesn't have a lot on the uh, topic of velo separation. He does have the two pitches, like you mentioned, working on the changeup. The changeup looks good good, not great, um, you know, and for a guy that you know was drafted in 2017, getting a little bit older, he's going to miss another year of development. We're going to limit the ceiling again here. Like you said, definitely bullpen dependent, uh, definitely bullpen exclusive. Um, the mechanics are simple on him. Um, you know, he does speed up and slow down the effort, which makes him a little easier to pick up uh, by my looks of him. Um, but he does have the makings of three pitches, so, that said, so not a bullpen, is good for anybody. Uh, and he does have a good size, 6'4", 2'2". Um, really needs to do more work mechanically, uh, growing into what the pro coaches have done with him early on in his big, big career. So, like I said, through Rule 5, um, got a good co- uh, college pedigree out of Stanford. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens there. Um, but, yeah, uh, definitely a uh, middle relief piece that we have in uh, Colton Hawk. In the future, if he makes it through the Rule 5 draft next year, uh, going to 67, Cody Potique. Uh, this is one of the longest tenure guys in the Marlins minor league system. Uh, big junior year in a swingman role at UCLA, 2.45 ERA, 1.25 WHIP, 68 30 KBB. Uh, and he was a fourth round draft pick, uh, improving on his 27th round draft slot when he was drafted out of high school. At uh, a high school, by the way, in a city that I used to live in, in Southern California. Shouts out to El Cajon. So, yeah, me and Cody used to share a city back in the mid-2000s. Anyways, uh, (laughs) (laughs) since being drafted, uh, Poteet has has really progressed through the minors pretty slowly. Um, Marlon's really taken it easy with this guy. Uh, He struggled uh, at a certain – but after struggling at a certain level, he's been able to come back and conquer it. But he doesn't and hasn't ever really shown that breakout-type potential. Uh, He repeated levels in 2017 and 2018, Made it up to AAA last year and really struggled in AAA. Um, he has four usable pitches. He's six foot 190, but he just doesn't really, for me, have the stuff to live up to his starter potential. Um, already unselected as a Rule 5 guy. He was eligible last year. Uh, he stays around the organization as another, I think, ceiling, jam-ending, one- to two-inning reliever, a guy that could just come in and get out and mop up. Uh, so, as long as he's committing his pitches, which has been another issue for him. But, uh, like I said, an older guy, uh, didn't really get invited to camp this year, didn't do a lot around spring training. Um, like I said, we barely saw him. So, the Marlins are limiting the expectation here. Just lacks, like I said, all, overall stuff and hasn't historically missed enough bats to profile as much in a start at the next level. So, we'll see what happens with him next MILB season. Uh, I think he's a depth piece. that's
1: about it. Yeah. Poteet is a a pitcher who this COVID stop really hurt, in my opinion. He's turning 26 years old this month. He needed, he really needed to go out there and prove what he had. You know, he has so many high caliber pitching prospects in front of him. I mean, we've gone through the list. You you guys have heard it. All of the pitchers this guy has in front of him. And with every draft, it's four more, five more in front of him. Um, So, yeah unfortunately of course he's a bit hidden you know he's just like this guy who as as alex mentioned is hasn't shown any breakout stuff but he's like he's there you know he can be like a depth guy um so so i i honestly you know think that the best thing that could happen to him is just to start fresh with another organization where he can be higher on that depth chart um let's move forward number 68 right-handed pitcher Eury Perez um Eury came as an international amateur in 2009 he is actually the pitcher with the highest bonus from bonus from Miami's um international class that year again this is a year with Jose Salas Ian Lewis Junior Sanchez you know those are the big three but Yuri Perez was the highest uh bonus for a pitcher so Eudi Perez and Alex know this, knows this. Like, he knew that I was going to talk about him. I I didn't care if he was an odd number, an even number. He is a pitcher that I'm extremely excited about. And, you know, I'm going to try to make all of you excited as well. (laughs) The only reason why he's as low as 68 is because he hasn't played a single professional inning as a pro and didn't receive a high bonus like, you know, like Salas did, which is normally a good measurement for a player's pedigree. So basically, you know, I didn't have any ammo to put him above guys like, you know, Puckett or Remy Reed, you know, who have been at it for years and years and have shown it, you know, have shown results. Um, But I don't expect him to be down here for too long. So with with Perez, when I was analyzing the, the 2019 class after, you know, July 2nd, 2019, this guy immediately caught my eye, six foot five, 16 year old that had solid mechanics and the limited footage that I saw coming out of the DR. So I wrote his name down and just, you know, continue with the list. Six months later, I read a report from Ben Badler. For those who don't know, he's the um, he's a Baseball America international prospect guru. Baseball America to me is, that's my Bible. You know, if, if, if you can, if you have the money, it's like $6 a month, please subscribe. Baseball America is, the best if you, if you care about prospects and you want to know more. So I'm going to read to you verbatim, you know, as it's written. What Ben Badler said. Here we go. He wrote, "When teams were scouting Paris last summer, he was a six foot five, 155 pound kid with a fastball in the mid 80s. In six months, he has put on 30 pounds with a frame that still screams projection, and his wow. fastball has jumped to touch 92 miles per hour." since putting on weight and going on a long toss program. Aside from the potential to throw really hard, Perez stands out for his body coordination. While a lot of pitchers his size and age have arms and legs flying everywhere, Perez is able to control his delivery with smooth arm action and fairly calm mechanics to be able to throw strikes. He leverages the ball well with downhill angle and does a good job of locating his fastball to both sides of the plate for his age. His fastball is his best pitch, but he shows field to spin a slider with three-quarters break with a change-up curveball also in his repertoire, giving him the components to pitch in a starting rotation. So to sum it up, guys, in his first six months as a pro, it's just six months, Yuri put on 30 pounds, added at least seven miles per hour to his fastball, and still absolutely has the body to throw much harder, has been able to control his long body, which many tall pitchers struggle with, struggle with especially at that age has shown he can throw strikes and can locate his fastball to both sides of the plate and has shown that he can also you know throw three other secondaries that he will keep maturing i I really can't wait to see this guy show us what he's got in real games
0: wow yeah that was that was awesome and that battle report is amazing i mean yeah i mean the size is is absolutely insane guys at age 15 6'6, six, six, 180 coming out of the international draft. Okay. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and like, like uh, Daniel just mentioned, he's already added to it. So needless to say the size and velo are already there for him and he projects to add even more, you know, 90 to 91 when he was selected with the velo. So some serious, serious projection on this guy. We just got to see him play. Right. Uh, you know, also has, uh, from what I've read, a really solid curveball with good shape uh, all the way down to 75 miles an hour. So, yeah, there right. you go with that. Uh, he's going to be really, really fun to watch as he goes through the Marlins minor league system. Uh, you know, obviously the missed season sucks, but it's not going to hurt a guy like this, still just a kid. Um, so, yeah, uh, definitely a huge nod to Fernando Seguignol and everybody in the international scouting pool. Uh, you know, this guy's going to be big. Uh, We go to 69, Stone Garrett. Uh, Another name that I'm sure a lot of our listeners and followers will notice just because, like my last guy, he's been around for a while. How has his time gone with the Marlins and in the bigs? Not too good. (laughs) Drafted as a high schooler in 2014. He was really good in 2015 with Batavia, and then he got injured for the first time in 2016, limited to just 55 games. He got hurt again in each of his next two seasons, limiting him to 94 and 68 games, mostly in Jupiter. Uh, He finally got in close to a full season with the Shrimp last year, 243, 289, 431. Um, He's a 6'2", 200-pounder, viewed as a power over hit tool guy coming out of high school, but the missed time has really, really limited his offensive production. Um, he has been good on defense, he's got good range and a good arm, the ability to scale walls, and like we said, with, we, like we saw with the shrimp last year, even go over walls, <laughs> went over a wall to rob a home run, uh, you know, so he can do some things with the glove and with the range, um, but he's going to need to do two things, he's going to need to A, stay on the field, which has always been his biggest problem, and B, make a lot if he's going to have a chance in this Marlins outfield or even as a DH um, he went unselected as a Rule 5 guy last year. We'll probably go unselected again this again this year. Probably won't see him on the 60-man roster. So we're not going to see much out of Stone until next season. Um, he'll be 26 in 2021, um, having shown the very, very limited physical durability and equally limited results, uh, especially offensively at the plate. So a guy we wouldn't have been surprised to see among the Marlins minor league cuts that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Uh, but he's still around, so the Marlins still see uh, something in him, uh, probably because of the standout defense. You know, like I said, he could do some really, really uh, exciting things with the glove and does have good offensive upside. But turning 26, you know, you got to kind of temper some expectations, especially because of the health, uh, the, uh, health problems that he has. But hopefully uh, for Stone, who's actually a really, really nice dude, we love talking to him, he can turn it around and uh, make something of himself next year.
1: Yeah, Stone is is he's a prospect who had that crazy knife incident with uh Josh Naylor, the the prank, right? <laughs> um I remember that. It's like our number 2 prospect had a prank with the number number 3 prospect and oh, he now has to go into surgery. That wasn't fun. If you yeah. follow prospects. Uh before that, he was one of again, one of the best prospects in our system, ranked as high as number 3 at one point um granted in 2016 our farm system was pretty much the worst in baseball but still you know from number three to number 69 here you know it's it's not great um I'm not saying that Garrett Naylor thing derailed his career but I'm just pointing out a small coincidence it is true that offensively he has been getting considerably better the last few years like year to year uh 65 wrc plus uh, in 2017 86 wrc plus in 2018 and 103 finally average in 2019 so let's see how he does with the with the wind surge um as probably their fifth outfielder i would say um just a depth guy for now but an amazing defender Number 70, outfielder Troy Johnston, um, drafted by Miami in 2019 in the 17th round out of uh, Gonzaga. That's how you pronounce it, right, Alex? Yep. Gonzaga or Gonzaga? Gonzaga. Gonzaga, see? Gonzaga University, 5'11", 205 pounds, uh, 23 years old, lefty-lefty. Johnston had a solid college career, but was hurt in his junior year, uh, missed it almost completely, I think he played like 15 games or so. He went back to school as a senior in 2019 and absolutely killed it, uh, 3.30, 4.02, 6.10 slash line. Now, it's true sure that he played in the in the West Coast Conference, which isn't the SEC or the SEC, but I mean, it definitely caught Miami's eye. And they drafted him and paid him the maximum 125000 You can give the, as I mentioned before, you can give to the post-10th round guys without sacrificing bonus pool money. For comparison, uh, Nick Reddy, six rounds later, was given 2500 bucks, 2500 So, I mean, they were high on Johnston. In his first season as a pro, Troy quietly had a very solid season. I mean, Troy was actually a guy I didn't really have even as high as this, until pretty late, like I noticed, like he was actually. Um, even when I was talking to Alex, he's like, "Whoa, you're you're low on Johnston," and I was I, like went back and I'm like, "So in his first season as a pro, Troy quietly had a very solid season." I um I actually didn't really have him on my radar. Uh, I found him, you know, not found him, but really like started looking at him. Um, late in the season, and I had pretty low. I remember you, Alex, looked at him. Um, you saw my list, and you're like, wow, you're really low on Johnson. And I checked his numbers again, and I checked, you know, the scouting report and all that, and it's absolutely true. So I, we brought him up a bit. Um, so, yeah, he had a solid first pro season. Most people talked about Nick Reddy and J.D. Orr from that team, but Johnson wasn't far behind. He put up a 135 WRC+, 373 LBP. Um, with a solid 20% K rate, Um, so it's pretty good. Just like we mentioned when talking about Reddy and and Andor, we do need to keep in mind though that these are college seniors feasting on some younger kids, um, you know, younger pitchers, which means that we do need to keep his numbers in perspective and obviously keep monitoring how he does and, you know, when he keeps going on to to the higher levels. But it's a great numbers, but again, grain of salt. Let's see how he keeps doing as he as he goes through our system. Um, he doesn't have an amazing arm or speed that I know of, so I would say it would mostly be his bat that takes, um, you know, that, that advances him through our amazing outfield depth charts. I do expect him to begin his next season at single A. Yeah, uh,
0: Troy is a guy that I really like. Um, he's a member of That 2019 draft class, like we said, out of Gonzaga, uh, was really good there. 312, 386, 516. And he really showed out last year for me. 330, two, 610. Um, You know, that was his final season there. Uh, On top of a good uh, summer league season in 2017, the Marlins got him at a 17th rounder. Um, Batavia last year, 277, 373, 379. He was pretty much the 11th best here all across the board in the New York Penn League. Uh, BABIP was pretty high. I think Daniel mentioned that, 344 BABIP. So we'll see if the numbers come down a little bit as that normalizes at the upper levels. Uh, but as Daniel also mentioned, the 135 WRC+. Plus. So it's a guy who's starting to garner some attention at the deeper levels of the system. Uh, he's just stout little kid, 5'11", 205, but he's really strong. He's got really great athleticism. Um, covers the whole field pretty well. Uh, went pull 41% of the time and oppo 35% of the time last year. So you can cover the whole plate. Um, you know, a pretty simple swing, promotes line drive contact, 20% line drive rate last year, which is a pretty good first-hand indicator. Um, the only knock in the approach that I would say is that he can get under the ball a little bit too much with the uppercut action, uh, leads to some easy fly balls. But that's something that should iron out as he progresses. So like I said, simple mechanics, good feel for hitting. Not really a ton of swing and miss, only struck out 55 times uh, in his three-year college career. So, uh, yeah, so a guy that promotes contact and some good power for especially limited size. So you like to see the potential here. Um, he has the strong outfield arm, which, which Daniel also just mentioned. Uh, he's, also, he's always played right field. Uh, one caveat for him is that he's really old for his level. He just turned 23, and now he's facing another missed uh, season of development. So... He has a lot to navigate uh, in the Marlins outfield pool, but uh, he's going to be pushed extremely hard next year, which will be a measuring stick, I think, for him. So, yeah, Troy is a guy that right now I like, but uh, we'll see what happens with him next year. Uh, definitely going to be a, tel- a tell-tale season, uh, which we say about a lot of these guys, but for Troy, he's in that pool of a guy that – he's going to be a guy to really watch next year and see uh, how far he can go with the Marlins. Uh, all right, we go to 71. I got it. Uh, Tyler Jones. Tyler Jones uh, – Late round pick out of Wichita State, uh, the new home of the Marlins' uh, AAA uh, affiliate, the Wind Surge. Um, and some rough-looking numbers in his college career. 6.83 ERA, 1.83 WHIP, 96.54 KBB. Um, but most of that trouble for him came as a starter. Uh, the Marlins elected him in champion, the good size, six four two hundred 200 coming out of college, Um, and his much better whip in his final college. season, a 1.19 whip in his final college year with Wichita State. Uh, And really good results in limited showings. This guy was really good in one to two innings showings uh, when he pitched out of the pen. Uh, The Marlins have begun to grow Jones' career uh, pretty much exclusively as a reliever, and he's done really well in that regard, uh, throwing in limited showings, like I just said. Uh, 98 MILB innings, 2.02 ERA, 1.13 whip, and really good control numbers, 110 to 29 KBB. Um, it should be noted that this guy's always pitched to competitors that are older than him on average, uh, all throughout his minor league career. But it's been really, really encouraging, like I said, just uh pitching in limited stints. Uh, and he's really grown his three pitch mix under pro coaches. Really started to gain some more feel and repeat for his delivery as well as he's done so. So it uh, doesn't have the lights out stuff. He's a guy that's gonna come in and pitch to contact and just record outs. Uh, So as far as that ceiling goes, you like what you see out of Tyler Jones.
1: Important to note here um, that he did have several starts last year. I had him as a relief pitcher, right? Um, But he did have a few starts, um, you know, and other games that he didn't start but pitched four or five innings and still did well. Um I mean, you heard you heard Alex's uh stats here. Those aren't just like him pitching one inning or so. That's I mean, he goes in, pitches four, five, even six innings sometimes. That's what he did last year. Uh keep in mind that this is the same league where guys like Holloway or um or Stewart sometimes struggled at. So it's not like he's pitching at that low A. No, he he pitched well several innings in, in the um Florida State League. So it's not just um as i mentioned one or two innings he he can you know he can um go longer so look at the, the guy's last appearance of the season was a five inning 5k 5 hit and no walks start um so yeah let's see let's see what Miami's plans are with him if if they're just going to keep him as a reliever or or actually stretch him out and see if if he does um you know turn into something else maybe a depth starter or a long reliever. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to point that out. Number 72, shortstop Dalvi Rosario. He was signed as an international um, amateur in 2016 out of the DR for $125,000 uh, as a bonus. Um, six foot, 160, 19 years old. I think he's pretty close to turning 20. Dalvi is a high-speed guy um, who can play several premium positions, um, including shortstop, second base, center field. He's played third, third base as well. Um, but important here to note is that he can play up the middle, any position. Um, he is one of those raw, big reward type of players. His, his tools on both sides of the ball look solid, but he still hasn't put up the numbers as a pro. He isn't going to be the strongest guy, But he is extremely athletic um, and has a quick bat, although it's only showing gap power for now, just line drive, line drive, gap power. Um, In the field, he has a plus arm and soft hands. So when you combine those two things with his athleticism, you know, it's a great defensive profile. As I mentioned, though, none of this has translated into tangible results as a pro, you know, and he hasn't been playing in crazy hard leagues, you know, he he played at the DSL one year and uh, the um, low A his second year since he signed. So he's played two seasons, as I mentioned, 2018 at the DSL where he had, you know, just average results, 689 OPS. Um, And then in 2019, he was assigned to low A, as I mentioned, instead of the GCL where everyone expected him to go. His results there were extremely disappointing with a 73 wrc plus 200 average 25 percent k rate again it's not very worrying though i mean since he was playing against stronger competition you know older guys i um, and just simply might have been a bit overwhelmed but i'm pretty sure the marlins expected a bit more out of him um he also had 19 errors at shortstop in in 63 games so again, he has the tools to field, but he still needs to bring those down a bit if he wants to stay at shortstop. expect him to start 2021 at single A. Yeah, this is a guy
0: who's a young kid, uh, like we mentioned, a uh, free agent uh, signing out of DR uh, in the International got to $125,000. Uh, the day after he turned 18, actually, he signed that contract. So. Uh, Daniel mentioned the results, you know, pretty limited, 2017 in the DSL, 257, 315, 373. Uh, the speed really jumped, uh, 26 to 3 stolen base to costing rate for him there. So, like I said, uh, the speed jumped off the charts, but like Daniel mentioned, also did the K-rate, 63 to 22 KBB that season. Um, was challenged uh, with Batavia last year. I- I really thought he should have gone back to the DSL, especially after that uh, limited season with the average uh, in those metrics. But was challenged with Batavia um, and played against guys that were three years older than him in the New York Penn League. Uh, That's where those 200, 253, 324, 71, 13 KBB, that's where all those numbers really stem from. He really just wasn't ready for that level. Um, He'll probably really repeat that level next MILB season. even with a year of development, you know, that's disadvantageous for anybody, but it, it won't hit Dalby just as hard. Um, you know, he just turned 19 on July 2nd. So, you know, still a young kid, he's still making his way. Uh, what you really like about this guy are the well-polished mechanics that he has at a pretty young age. You know, he stays through the ball pretty well, gets the lower half involved in the swing, um, has really good bat speed. Um, he's just six foot 160, but he's already showing the ability to hit gaps and the occasional fence uh, with plenty of projection for more of that as he grows up. So yeah, um, he's already a plus plus run guy, which I mentioned um, uses that to challenge fielders, you know, can pretty much turn anything into exits. The interesting thing about him is that he's listed as a center fielder, but the Marlins assigned him to shortstop all of last year. Um, Pretty ugly results there. 19 errors at that spot, 923 fielding percentage. So not good. Um, If that's going to be his home in the pros, Uh, Along with navigating a ton of competition that he has there in the Marlins system, he has a lot of cleaning up to do with arm accuracy. Um, Has good range because of speed, but yeah, the arm really has to clean up if he wants to stick there. Uh, Wherever he does end up, he's a guy who's already showing a good feel for hitting, good mechanics. Uh, Like I said, he was overmatched last year, but that should work itself out. Uh, With more looks against pro stuff, um, and as he grows up into his body, like we mentioned, Uh, He's a guy who could really surprise as he progresses through his minor league career. Really good raw peripherals, good athleticism. I think he'll eventually show it. Uh, All right, we go to 73. This will be the last guy we cover on the pod uh, this time around. It's Sean Gunther. Uh, Sean Gunther is a seventh rounder out of Notre Dame in 2017. Uh, Good there. 182 innings pitch, 3.5 ERA, 1.33 whip, 153.60 KVB. Uh, ERA below three in both his freshman and sophomore year. Uh, big learning experience for him in summer ball in 2016. K numbers really popped for him in the sophomore year that I just mentioned 69.19 KBB. Uh, Marlins took him at 209 overall in, in the 2017 draft. Uh, and he got almost a $200,000 signing bonus 198.5, exactly at his slot value. So made exactly what he should have made uh, coming out of that uh, slot. Uh, since being drafted, uh, he's done a great deal of work building up secondaries. Uh, without one coming out of the draft, this guy now has two secondaries. Um, he speeds up his arm motion mid-delivery uh, and comes home pretty quick and furious. Uh, the effort points, the effort in his release, I should say, points to a future relief ceiling just because of the effort, like I said, that goes into it uh, a little a lot behind his pitches, not just the heat, but a lot behind the breakers as well. So throws with high effort on all of his stuff, um, but creates some really good deception and is really, really hard guy to time. Um, he has a really good secondary pitch curveball in the low 70s, good shape and drop on that pitch. Uh, also slows, throws a slider and a changeup, may drop one of those pitches, probably the slider as he grows uh, fully into his stuff. Really impressed last year between single A and single A advanced, despite missing some time with injury. Uh, But, yeah, he repeats his stuff well, repeats his delivery well. High arm slot, short stride. um, And it's a guy that does it despite having pretty limited size. So uh, a pretty unique look for hitters in that he can shorten distance to the plate despite some limited size. So uh, as long as he's commanding his stuff, uh, this guy has got a really good future for a relief ceiling, um, mid to late relief ceiling. Uh, Despite recent growth, though, uh, circumstances considered, we limit his future with the Marlins. He turns 25 in December and is Rule 5 eligible uh, in February at the winter meeting. So with everything else the Marlins have to protect, I think this guy could wind up somewhere else, but we'll see where they go.
1: Yeah, something to keep in mind with him is that he's a lefty. That helps him to um, be higher up in our in our list. You know, he he um, most of our relief pitchers are righties. we got Bessia. obviously a lefty. We have... Um, what else do we have there? Who is a, also a lefty, Dylan Lee. But that's pretty much it. Costano, if, if they want to make him a reliever. So that definitely helps him. Um, and I just, yeah, just, again, just highlight how much better he did uh, last season versus um, this season before that one. Improved in every single category with K percentage and average against uh, standing out. Whip also came down like 30 points or something. So definitely a guy we, you know, I now have in in my sights now to see if, if we can build on that.
0: Yeah, for sure. So we'll see what happens with him. Uh, all right, guys, that's going to do it for episode four of Swimming Upstream. And we've gone even deeper into the Marlins prospect pool. Getting near the end here, We uh, we're at 73. We hope to cover the rest next time. Uh, on the fifth and final part of this top uh, 100 consensus prospect list that me and Daniel have put together for you guys. So once again, guys, we really appreciate you guys joining uh, the podcast. We really appreciate the attention and support that we've already seen and gotten from everybody on Twitter and elsewhere. It really means the world to us. Uh, This is a passion for both of us. We really enjoy doing it, and we're really glad you guys are here. So for Alex and Daniel, until next time, thank you for joining in. Have a good one, guys.